to another edition of the Second and Goal Fantasy Podcast. I'm Calvin, your host here with your co-host, Chris, the fantasy expert. And in today's show, we interview JJ Zacharyson of the Late Round Podcast. His podcast is one of the absolute best in the industry. One of my favorites It's basically 15 or 20 minute shows jam-packed with information and analytics. And somehow, Mr. Zacharyson, he packs it in all in 15 or 20 minute shows. And it's absolutely fantastic to listen to. So I'd recommend you guys uh, take a look at it if you haven't already. And uh, Chris, this interview, I mean, as you would expect, it was tons of fun. Yeah, I mean, I speak for both of us when I say it was a pleasure to have JJ on the show. He's done so much for the industry, forefront of the late round QB strategy, which I mean, both of us pretty much use. And you'll hear a little bit more about that in the interview. And his podcast, it's one of the best and most respected in the business. He's really well known for his analytical take on things, like you said earlier, Cal. His show is just, it's really awesome to listen to because, you know, you don't have to waste an, I mean, not really waste, but you don't have to use an hour of your day listening to this one show. You basically get, it almost seems like the information you would get in an hour in a short 20 minute session. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. And the interview was great. So I hope you guys enjoy it just as much as we did. So here is the interview with JJ Zacharyson. And so now we've got a very special guest here joining the show. JJ Zacharyson from the Late Round Podcast is here with us. Uh, Mr. Zacharyson, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's really a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. All right. So we're just going to get into, I, before we get into the questions, I think uh, for those of you who don't know, again, Jay, or Mr. Zacharyson hosts the Late Round Podcast, and um, which uh, is one of the definitely one of the best podcasts in the industry one of the most popular and one of my favorites as well. So for, but for those, those of you who don't know, do you want to maybe discuss your podcast for the listeners? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if any of you have ever like listened to like a Ted talk or, uh, you know, sort of a, a short form, uh, quick to the point, uh, detailed, uh, type, type show that, that, uh, folks put on that these experts put on about specific topics. And that's sort of what I went for, when I started the late, <laughs> started the late round podcast, where uh, I wanted something that was more quick hitting, uh, that you could sort of get in and get out and and get all the information that you needed. Uh, so it's heavily edited, um, and it's usually you know fifteen to twenty minutes in length each episode is, um, and and hopefully you know folks are, are able to to get what they need uh, very quickly and very efficiently within that show. And it's very numbers driven too, because it's sort of where I come from uh, with with my fantasy football analysis. Yeah. And then it is, again, like I said, one of my favorite shows. I love how it's like, again, like very digestible, 15 or 20 minutes bite size, but provides like it's jam packed with information. I appreciate that. So we've got a few questions for you about like your time in the fantasy football industry. So I guess Chris, Mm -hmm. go ahead. Yeah. So why did you decide to get into the fantasy football industry? Was there some kind of big moment or did you just slowly get into it? What kind of what made you decide to get in and sort of when did you get in? Yeah. So, um, you know, you guys are obviously, uh, you know, younger and, and it's awesome that you're already doing what you're doing right now. Uh, it's great. Uh, I, I wasn't as young, but I was definitely on the, on the younger side. You know, a lot of people are getting into the industry because they're, they're really sick with their day of their day jobs and they need some sort of outlet. Um, and, and I was in that boat, but I just did it a lot sooner rather than later. So I graduated college um, and then I was working for a couple of years in, in the advertising world. Uh, didn't really get a lot out of that in the jobs that I was doing. So 
uh, you know, I sort of just had this like moment of, of what is my passion? What do I like doing? And at the time I had never written anything. I'd never done anything at all. Uh, but at that time, this was back in, in 2012, 2011, 2012. So this is a couple of years after, uh, sort of working and, and, you know, just feeling out what it's like to be an adult. Um, I, I really opened up, I, I, I really, I just opened up a, a word document one day and I just started sort of like throwing ideas on there of like what I'm passionate about, what I want, uh, you know, to do ideally. And what I really realized is that fantasy football was it. And at the time, a lot of people, uh, were a lot of the, the higher ups in the industry were touting an early round quarterback strategy. Cause it was after the 2011 season when there was really good quarterback play, um, and at that time, you know, I realized that, uh, you know, throughout my time in playing fantasy football, which I had been playing, I- I've been playing since the early two thousands. Um, but at that time I realized that, uh, there's, there's, th- this is not the best strategy in the world to, to be getting these guys early, mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of reasons. A lot of these reasons were stuff, very basic, like economic stuff that I've, that I, that I learned in school and, uh, really just basic logic, uh, overall. So I, really just looked at the landscape and I said, you know, everyone's saying draft your quarterbacks early because we just had this crazy, crazy season with these quarterbacks. There were some reasons for it. Uh, but I know that over the long term, drafting quarterbacks late make a, makes a lot more sense. And so what I did was I just started typing out ideas. I would work 40 hours a week in my day job. I'd come home. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, uh, you know, was very supportive and I would be working at night. And I, I for about nine months, I wrote an ebook. Um, and then I published the ebook and then sort of the rest is sort of history. Yeah. I mean, I guess, the... so you wrote the late round quarterback as well for listeners who don't know. And yeah, I mean, I love looking back at those like 2011, 2012 expert rankings and seeing like three, four or five quarterbacks ranked in the first round. It's very funny. To yeah. Me. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and you know, it, it's funny too. People will still ask me, they're like, Oh, where can I get your ebook? I'm like, don't get my ebook. It's terrible. <laughs> like, like it's legitimately terrible because you know, back you should evolve as an analyst. You should get better and better. And I cringe, like thinking about and looking at some of the stuff that I wrote, the, the, the general idea was obviously there. Um, but the analysis itself, I mean, I had never really done fantasy analysis. I'm definitely not. I mean, I'm, I'm more of a writer now and I, I've always been able to write. Don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, the writing's just different. It's not really who I am now uh, as a writer. So it's just it's funny looking back, you know, even though it's only been eight or so years. Um, but looking back and, and realizing that, yeah, it's not not the best analysis in the world. Yeah, it's crazy how much the fantasy landscape can sort of change over just a period of eight years, you know? Yeah. And that's, I mean, obviously, the late-round uh, quarterback strategy, that's kind of where you got your podcast name, and that's been a great strategy that so many people are using now, including me. I love to get my quarterbacks in the later rounds. So it's just it's awesome. I love that strategy. Okay, and then our second question is, what's your favorite moment from your time in the fantasy industry? It can be funny. It can be some kind of accomplishment. Every, what's your favorite? Man, that's a that's a good question. Um I don't know if I have like a, a, a singular favorite moment per se, but I will say that I've really, really enjoyed the the community itself. Um, you know, I've met a lot of of great friends uh who are other analysts that um I would have never met otherwise, guys that I talk to every single day at this point. Um, you know, my my podcast co-host, my other podcast, Living the Stream, Denny Carter's a great friend of mine now. Uh, you know, Rich Rebar is a great friend of mine now. And and just connecting with all these people who are, you know, passionate about the same thing and, and going to different events and, um, you know, going to conferences and, and just hanging out with with your with your buddies. And I think that's the 
the best part about the industry itself is that no one's really, I mean, we're all directly competing in some way, uh, but there's enough for everyone to, to, to uh, win and to, to get something out of this. Uh, And uh, you know, there, there's always people that are wanting good content and needing good content. Um, And it's just a cool, a really, really cool industry to be a part of. And I feel very lucky to be a part of it, but I think, you know, instead of a singular moment per se, because I, you know, I don't necessarily care enough about like awards and winning that kind of stuff and, or, or, you know, getting a, a certain number of downloads on my show to me, you know, doing this and, and having my show and, and having these interactions uh, is just way more important and vital to me than, you know, any sort of accolade. I, I know that sounds sort of like a canned answer, mm-hmm. but uh, I really mean it. Like the, the people in the industry are really, really awesome. And, and that's something that I definitely love about it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean having like, – or go, go ahead, Calvin. Chris. Oh, okay. Um, so anyway, Calvin, I mean, we've been doing this show for a long time. And sort of we decided to branch off into social media. So we went to Twitter so we could try and spread it a little bit. And it's amazing. You go from just trying to spread your podcast and get a few downloaded to realizing there are so many smaller shows that want to meet up or talk to you. There's so many people that just kind of want to know your experience. And we have a few, I mean, people that have just kind of watched over us. I mean, they haven't been – crazy but they're just nice people and you know and there's so many of those guys in the fantasy industry and it's just awesome to have that sort of tight-knit community on all levels yeah for sure for sure it's 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 it's, it's again it's one of those situations where yes technically we're all competing in some way and we're all trying to get uh the most listens and the most reads on our articles and the most subscribers and all of that um but in the end you know we're all we're all buddies and that's that's the cool part of it yeah, agreed for sure. Yeah, that's basically what I was going to say, Chris. So, mm-hmm. all right. So, um, I mean, we sort of touched on this before, but like, obviously your podcast is like very analytics based, very like, and again, like bite-sized analytics and sort of like a unique format for a podcast. But uh, so for people who don't know, could, if you want, could you describe your philosophy for like player projections in general? Yeah, definitely. So I look, I, I'm definitely someone who approaches the game uh, in an analytical numbers driven way, because, you know, in the end, fantasy football is a game about numbers. Um, and so I, I think it's important to at least have, you know, and be, be cognizant of that, you know, but at the same time, I'm very much a believer that you should be doubling down on the things that you're good at. Um, and to me, you know, sitting there and grinding film, I can, I can sit and watch football and, and, you know, uh, have some takeaways based on that. I watch every game every single week, uh, so that I don't sound like a moron whenever I talk about <laughs> stuff. Um, but at the same time, I know that, that the bulk of my analysis and the stuff that I do is just going to be better coming from a, a numbers driven angle, because that's the stuff that I understand more, um, and can test and can do some cool stuff with. So, um, you know, I, I definitely don't sit here and, and, and talk down to people who approach the game in a different way. I just know that this is a way that, that I approach it. And it's a way that's helped me win through the years and helped other people win. You know, there's, there's nothing better than, uh, at the end of the season, just getting emails and and uh, mentions on Twitter and people thanking you and saying, "Hey, what what charity can I donate par- part of my winnings to?" That and I'm like like you still managed your team, but it's still like a very very uh, rewarding experience knowing that uh, the processes and the stuff that that I talk about on my podcast, you know, do work. Um, and, and that's that to me is what's most important with fantasy analysis is that you know if you look at the landscape, a lot of people are constantly talking about uh, player evaluation and, you know, where they're ranking this guy versus this guy. And that's fine. I, I think that that's still compelling content. Don't get me wrong. 
But at the same time, you got to take a step back sometimes and look at the higher level trends and, and, and come up with a true process uh, for your drafts and for how you manage your teams. And the more consistency you can have with your process, uh, the better your results are going to be in the long run. And that's really the, the approach that I take with the podcast, with all my analysis is that, you know, it's not just about, you know, do I rank Patrick Mahomes over Josh Allen next year? It's, you know, it's more so, it's more so when do I draft these guys? When do I draft these early round quarterbacks? What does that mean? Uh, what's changing within the NFL and these trends with, with mobile quarterbacks or uh, with, with, with teams running more spread offenses or some teams now running more 12 personnel? What does that all mean? You know, what, what does that mean at the higher level and how should that change my process and the way that I'm drafting and managing my team? So I really try to ask those more like higher level uh, questions as opposed to just digging into this is a ranking and this is who I like over this guy. I mean, there's, there's definitely time for that and there's a, a place for that. And I try to bring that, that kind of stuff up on my show. Um, but I think that a way to differentiate and, and the way that I've at least differentiated throughout my fantasy career in my, in the industry is by looking at more of the strategic side, as opposed to just the the player evaluation side. Yeah. And I mean, clearly it's like over the last few years, like, greatly changed fantasy football like for example like we just talked about like the late round quarterback strategy has changed fantasy football so much and that's like analytics based as well and then I know you said you uh obviously it's based on more like higher level trends but I mean are there any like preseason specific picks like you're particularly proud of I mean we did a like a victory lap and award episode last week for our podcast and so yeah are there any like specific picks for that you would be particularly proud of yeah. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not an analyst who necessarily has like my guys or like guys that like, I, I don't, I don't necessarily like come out and say, you have to absolutely get this player uh, mm-hmm. because I think there's so much gray area in, in what we do in our analysis. Some people hate that for the record. I mean, some people will listen to my show and then they'll come back to me and they'll say, you need to be bolder or you need to be this or that. And I'm like, look, I'm just going to be honest with how I feel about these players. There's no need for me to be Skip Bayless whenever I'm talking like these like detailed numbers driven stuff when I know that detailed numbers driven stuff has variance. I know that variance exists, but even still, I have takes like I still say, you know, I like this guy more than the market likes this guy. I'd say two two players in particular I was pretty happy about this year. One on a lower level is probably Deontay Johnson. Uh, I was just higher in general on his role and, and the type of volume he could see in the offense. Um, and and I, I basically, in my rankings, had him fairly close to, to Juju, um, you know, entering the season when there was a much larger gap uh, when looking at ADP. But the other guy, probably the biggest win, and he was on like 70% of my teams this year, uh, was James Robinson. So I, I do a lot of prospecting through data. Um, so I have a prospect model for running backs and wide receivers. I still don't have a tight end one, actually, because they're just really, really tough to to really pinpoint and figure out. Usually I'm just like, Oh, is he athletic? Okay, sure. I'm going to draft him. Uh, But uh, with running backs and wide receivers, there's a lot of, of data related things that you can pinpoint to see if a guy is good or or is going to be good or not at the NFL level. Now, of course, draft capital matters a lot. So guys who are uh, drafting the first, second, third round, you know, day one or two picks, uh, they generally are going to, to have more success at the NFL level. So a guy like James Robinson you know, pre-draft, he looked great in my model. His production at Illinois State was unbelievable. Um, but if you look at, you know, he was undrafted, and then all of a sudden he just gets tanked in my model because, uh, you know, draft capital matters so much. But then I knew 
you know, I still knew that James Robinson had it in him, you know, because of his production profile and because of what my model was saying beforehand. Um, And so when I saw that he had this opportunity right in front of him after Leonard Fournette was cut, um, I gobbled him up everywhere. And I talked to my podcast, you know, everyone was going for Divine Zigbo. And on my show, on my the first 15 transactions show of the season, uh, I was like, while everyone's going after Divine Zigbo, you know, you're going to get a more, you're going to get more value out of getting James Robinson. So he's the one guy that I had on a ton of teams. And usually, you know, how my teams do and the guys that are on my teams is probably what other people are benefiting from listening to me because I'm using my own advice. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the one player that, that I probably heard from people most this year, thanking me, if you will, um, for, for my advice. It was James Robinson. Yeah, I mean, even most in the industry, even when it became clear that he was the starter, I mean, I think the general consensus was was like pick him up because he's the starter, not because of like any uh, like not because of his production in college. So yeah, I'd say that's a great pick for sure. Um, so I guess we should uh, we have some 2020 booms and busts that we put together, and uh, so we were gonna ask, we we're thinking of asking, like, I mean, what what you thought of their 2021 draft stock? So. Yeah. Uh, Chris, go ahead. Yeah, so the first one was a – I mean, he was sort of a boom more towards the end of the season. It's J.K. Dobbins, and he looked really great. He showed some huge flashes, and he was really good in the yards per carry stats category last season. So what do you think his value is going forward, especially with – there's still a little bit of confusion based on about how many carries he's going to get and such. Yeah, I mean, I think the big problem with Dobbins – so I'm a huge Dobbins guy. I mean, I, I have him on a lot of dynasty teams too – um, so I'm, I'm very much a believer in his talent. And I think that the, the beauty of this Lamar Jackson offense is that there's going to be a fairly high floor for any running back that's seeing a, a lot of work in that backfield. I mean, down the stretch, you know, the second half of the season, as you guys alluded to Dobbins had about a 50% running back rush share, which is not like dramatically. I mean, James Robinson was breaking records basically with, with his running back rush share this season. It was like in the mid 90% range, uh, until he got hurt. But, um, you know, so 50% isn't anything special, but it's, it's fairly good in an offense that you know is going to be uh, efficient in terms of running the ball and, and four running backs, so that's a plus. Um, but then on top of that, it's it's a consistently going to be a run-heavy team as long as Lamar Jackson's there. Uh, so if you get, you know, if this is just basic math, if you get uh, a, a certain proportion of carries in a run-heavy offense, then you're just going to get more volume in general. The, the big fear is what is he going to do as a receiver? Um, because we now have a two-year sample uh, of Lamar Jackson uh, leading this offense and being the, the the QB one for 16 games in this offense. And, and in this sample, he has not targeted his running backs at a very high rate at all. So my fear is that the ceiling is not necessarily as high as what others might end up thinking for JK Dobbins. I think the floor is very safe. I think he's an ultra talented player, but it's just one of those circumstances where you just wish that that talent was in a, maybe a little bit better of a situation for his pass catching acumen. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, mean, I would agree. Thinking, oh, go ahead. Yeah. So you're thinking about it because Lamar Jackson is such a dynamic runner. A lot of times there's not as much of a check down option because Lamar just has that ability to run and get out of the pocket and he can do it himself. So a lot of times I think that's why you see a lot of these Ravens running backs struggle in the pass catching game. But I mean, JK Dobbins is a really talented player. So I definitely like him a lot. I agree with you that he's not going to be some, some people are going to be having him, you know, is that their guy. And I don't think he's going to be my guy or something going forward, but I think that he's going to have a solid season and the Ravens love to run the ball. Like you said. Yeah. I mean, I would say his floor is pretty safe as well. Like I would agree. It's like, 
I mean, obviously yards per carry isn't always the most accurate stat, but like, I think in this kind of offense with Lamar Jackson to create space, it at least shows some sort of trend where like, I mean, JK Dobbins, while his touch share isn't the greatest, like his floor would be pretty safe. And so our, the second one, I guess this guy jumped from QB 11 to QB four this season when shocking many people, including myself, who I was wrong about Aaron Rodgers really had a breakout season. And so what would your thoughts be about him? Like, in terms of 2021 draft stock, like do you expect significant regression next year? Yeah. So it's, it's funny you bring up Rogers. I have a show dropping uh, this, this next week on uh, the importance of, of mobility at the quarterback position in fantasy football. So it's just an example, you know, I'm just digging in on this like very specific topic on, you know, the cheat code, the Konami code in, in fantasy football of, of uh, rushing quarterbacks. And obviously, you know, Rogers has some mobility to him. Don't get me wrong, but he's not doing what a Kyler or Deshaun or, or obviously Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, he's not doing what they're doing on the ground. And the one thing that we do know factually is that touchdown rate in particular, so touchdowns divided by attempts, that's a metric that has a lot of variance to it year over year. It's not very sticky. So, mm-hmm. you know, good good quarterbacks will have higher than, than average touchdown rates generally year over year, like Russell Wilson, for instance. Um, but, you know, the, what Aaron Rodgers did this year, uh, he had the second best touchdown rate ever behind only Peyton Manning in 2004. So, uh, that is more than likely going to regress in some way. And because of that, so you know that next season entering the year, uh, you know, if you're ranking quarterbacks, I would imagine that Aaron Rodgers is going to be a top five-ish, maybe top six quarterback from a rankings perspective. Um, so to me, he's an easy fade as, as a result yeah. of that. I think that where you're really, you, where you really need to hone in on with the quarterback position is guys who are going to be able to, to run the football and give you points via their legs, because that's going to be a lot more stable uh, year over year than what they're doing with their arm. Yeah. I mean, you think about quarterbacks last year too, who had like crazy touchdown rates, like Lamar Jackson, for example, obviously he saw significant regression, Ryan Tannehill, even though he was still good this year, he did see regression because his touchdown rate was just like off the charts. And so, um, I guess we have one more boom before we get to the bust category. So, uh, Chris, go ahead. Yeah. It's David Montgomery. And this is a player that, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I was very bullish on him. I didn't think that he was that good of a player. He just hadn't shown the talent that a lot of people described when he came out of college. And I was worried about him, but with the rise, I mean, he just totally shot up, especially towards the end of the season. He was putting up huge numbers with Mr. Biscuit quarterback. I'm not sure that he's going to continue to be there, but he's definitely an exciting player to watch out for, especially with that, those flashes of talent we saw towards the end of the season. Yeah. So I think, you know, Montgomery, first off, Montgomery is someone that my prospect model liked a good bit. Uh, I ended up ranking Miles Sanders ahead of him and my, and and I think Josh Jacobs was ahead of both, but um, I I ended up ranking Miles Sanders ahead of him coming out as a prospect, but I actually didn't mind David Montgomery. And then what we saw is rookie year. I started to mind him, you know, he, 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 he fit the mold. There's a lot of guys that come out who, uh, you know, they're, they, they run maybe a slower 40, but they have great production and they were really efficient. They were good at breaking tackles and, and they, they automatically comp to Kareem hunt. Um, and David Montgomery was one. I know that there's that one picture that gets floated around all the time Mm -hmm. of David Montgomery being like having like Saquon Barkley's physicality and like, like literally comping him to every elite running back in the league. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, David Montgomery, one of his high end comps, if not the high end comp was Kareem hunt. And then a good example of that this year was Zach Moss. Zach Moss was a similar kind of, kind of running back, but obviously, you know, I don't, I don't think he's going to hit that kind of ceiling either. Um, And then Montgomery doesn't do anything year one. uh, But 
I mean, he, he looks good down the stretch this year, but we have to keep in mind two things. One, one thing that's really big is that Tariq Cohen was out for the majority of the season. Um, and, and, and when and Tariq Cohen before the season got a new deal, um, so he's going to be back and he's a great pass catcher out of the backfield. So uh, David Montgomery's target share is going to be impacted in some way. But then the, the second thing is the schedule. Uh, there's a reason Chicago and Mitch Trubisky did so well down the stretch. And it's because they faced easily the worst defenses in the league down the stretch, um, which is, you know, why, you know, why people are probably a little bit more uh, bearish on them when they're facing uh, New Orleans, for instance, in the playoffs here. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so there's, there's a couple things working against Montgomery. I think that, you know, my view of Montgomery, sure. I think he's better than I expected this season. And he was definitely, um, but going into next year and the way that I felt about him going into this year, it's going to be a little bit better. You know, I'll, I'll feel a little bit more positive about Montgomery, the player. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't see this like crazy, crazy ceiling with Montgomery. Like we saw down the stretch because, you know, obviously they, they face these, these easy defenses and, and maybe, you know, he'll, he'll be fine in plus matchups next season. Uh, but the Tariq Cohen factor can't be uh, overstated. I don't think uh, because the target share component is really important there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's there's so, so many things to, like what you said with the matchups as well. It's like, I mean, obviously, I don't think he's I don't think anyone thinks he's going to keep up the production from like the tail end of this year. But um, yeah, and it's, it's kind of funny that you mentioned the photo because just the other day I actually tweeted that in a reply to uh, someone. Com- there was like a joke about someone who compared Devonte Smith to AJ Green, apparently. Um, I don't know who it was, but it was. I'm trying to remember. I I'm, don't remember, but I tweeted that as a reply. But yeah, that, that was a pretty yeah. funny graphic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So we've just got, um, thank you so much for your time so far, by the way. We've just got yeah, like course. three more busts and then one final question for you. Um, so the first bust is, I guess, obviously he was injured for a lot of the year, but Michael Thomas, even when he was on the field, was really ineffective. And I think it's going to be so hard to rank him because anyone who was, he was like the clear wide receiver one for most rankings. And like, he just fell off such a cliff, even when he was healthy. Like, I feel like he's going to be one of the hardest players for me to rank in particular next year in fantasy football, but I wanted to hear your thoughts about him. Yeah. I mean, look, you definitely can't put him in the same type of elite tier that like a Devonte Adams or maybe even like a Tyreek Hill is in at this yeah. point. Um, and you know, there's a lot that is still up in the air too. Like is Drew Brees going to be back? And if he's not back, then what is that quarterback position going to even look like for new Orleans? And if it's Taysom Hill, then we definitely shouldn't feel very good about Michael Thomas uh, next season, just because it's going to be more of a run heavy team. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I the, the one thing to, to keep in mind with Thomas in, in general, wide with wide receivers, volume is what's sticky year over year. Um, and so, you know, Michael Thomas seeing a high target share one year, that's a good sign that he's going to see a lot of volume the next year. And then obviously then, drives fantasy scoring, right? So we should at least feel good that volume is going to be there. And I think Michael Thomas is good. Um, but I think that there is still a little bit of, of uh, a fear that, uh, you know, he's been a, a relatively lower average depth of target player. He has been fairly volume dependent, despite the fact that he is good. You know, volume is a yeah. skill statistic at wide receiver. You have to be open and good to get that volume. Um, but even still, if you change any part of that, then if you change the quarterback, if you change the way the offense is run, then there's a lot of fragility as a, as a result of that to a, a player like Michael Thomas. So, you know, I have a feeling that I'll probably be uh, at least at ADP, maybe even a little bit low with Thomas entering next season, uh, just because of what we saw this year and, and all of the moving parts within that offense. 
Yeah, it's mm-hmm. just he's going to be one of the most boomer bust players, though, for sure, next year. I mean, even like, but yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's, um, it's really dependent on the quarterback situation, too, because we saw the connection. I mean, that through reason Michael Thomas had it. it their target share was almost 30%. Or, can't remember exactly but i think it was floating around 30 percent through breeze at quarterback so i mean we didn't see a lot of touchdowns with Taysom hill it's not like we saw a total drop off in production from the yards and catches category but i think that definitely if especially if Taysom hill is quarterback i mean it's kind of become i've heard that it's a league-wide consensus that drew breeze is going to retire this season if Taysom hill ends up being the next quarterback that's definitely going to hurt his fantasy prospects a little bit but i think he's still such a talented player that you're going to want i mean he's not a bad player to draft or to have high in your rankings just because he has so much talent. And I think that he can do really well in pretty much any offense under any quarterback. I just don't know if he'll be that number one guy without Drew Brees. Yeah. All okay. Right. And then our second bust is Clyde edwards helaire And this is one that, I mean, I saw him as high as a top five, top even three, I think running back going into this season. And he just did not perform the addition of Le'Veon Bell. I thought would just, hurt him even more, but I mean, Le'Veon didn't even get that big of a carry load, and Clyde Rizalaire really only produced a bit towards the end of the season. It was just kind of a struggling season, and one that raised a few question marks about his, not only his talent, but just what his fit is in that Kansas City offense. Yeah, yeah, so you know, fortunately, I was actually looking back at my rankings uh, yesterday, maybe two days ago, and fortunately, I, I, I think I had CEH at like RB8 or something, so I wasn't like I, you know, I wasn't too, too high on him. Thank God. Um, but, you know, I, I like CEH coming out because of what he brought to the table, which is great pass catching ability. Um, I'm not really that I wasn't really that concerned about the fact that, you know, he didn't have the fastest 40 time in the world. Um, he really comped well to like a Maurice Jones drew type. But, um, you know, I, I think he flashed at times this year. He just wasn't very consistent running the football. Um, I, you know, it could just be that he was a rookie and, and that's what you get with a, with a rookie running back. Um, but I'm, I'm still going to buy the, the environment, uh, and the situation and the investment that they have in CEH. And I, I don't think that he's this horrendous of a player that, that crazy bad of a player, uh, especially, you know, we have to give him at least a little bit, cut him at least a little bit of slack given it was his rookie year. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the Le'Veon Bell signing, even though it didn't do, you know, even it didn't, even though it didn't do tremendously terrible things uh, for for Ceh, it still impacted his his running back rush share a little bit. It still impacted his target share a little bit, um, and and so as a result, you know, his his season, you know, he ended up going from you know a high end RB two, low end RB one before Le'Veon Bell got there, and things just sort of torpedoed out of control. Um, and, and he wasn't you know being utilized nearly as much. He had a couple big games, um, but it, it just wasn't nearly as, as strong and, and as high floor, if you will, um, when Le'Veon Bell wasn't there. So to me, I, I'm probably more on the buy end because I believe in the talent still with CEH. I think he's a strong pass catcher and the environment is so good. Um, but I understand if people are a little bit turned off by his rookie season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, th- I, I don't think there's any doubting his talent for sure. I just think, I mean, it's going to be difficult because, I mean, while his touch share was at least somewhat limited, I think... I mean, he could end up becoming like, I'm not saying he will, but he could end up becoming like a workhorse at running back eventually just because of his involvement in the passing game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also Le'Veon Bell is only on a one-year deal. So we know he's not coming back. It's going to be interesting to see if the Kansas city chiefs decide to get another running back, but uh, I don't think they will. I think they're going to probably just stick with Daryl Williams as their second running back. And I don't see them re-signing Le'Veon Bell. So I think Clyde Edwards-Lair is going to develop a nice role. And I mean, he could definitely be a player like David Montgomery, who's really struggled 
the year before. And then this season, he showed a lot more talent and especially towards the end of the season. So I think he's going to fit that type of role. And I do like him going forward in this season. All right. So, and then we've just got one more bust here before the final question. Uh, DJ Chark was just, I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't have him on my fantasy team, but it was just like such a really interesting and like, frustrating player this year just because I mean the Jaguars offense aside from James Robinson there was just nobody who you could trust this year so it was I mean but with Trevor Lawrence potentially coming in I mean DJ Chark's got one more year left on his contract I mean is there a chance that his value like returns to what it was two years ago I don't know if it'll return to that, but here's the thing. So usually with, with situations like this, I'm really just playing the market because I think that there's a lot of, of ambiguity. There's a lot of question marks around a player like DJ Chark. Um, uh, just, just given what he did uh, two years ago versus this past year. Um, and, and so I actually got a question with, with a mailbag episode that I did that dropped on Friday uh, about James Robinson and what a new quarterback will do, you know, to his value and, yeah. and what, what that'll do to his draft equity moving forward. Um, and my, my answer to that was we, we'll never know because it's not like people are drafting James Robinson, even if they're drafting early in the off season, like a best ball league or something, they're not drafting James Robinson thinking that Gardner Minshew is going to be the starter next year. Right. Mm-hmm. Even if they don't go the Trevor Lawrence route, which is very, very unlikely, but even if, even if they don't, they're still going to get a quarterback. So there's going to be some sort of upgrade at the quarterback position. And that should only help DJ Chark. So we're not going to get any sort of like discount because of this this quarterback situation in Jacksonville if anything it's going to be the opposite so you know to me I, I wasn't a huge I wasn't hugely into Chark coming out um, he surprised me last year uh, but I thought he looked good last year obviously shot showed a lot of, of uh, strong red, uh, a strong red zone presence which I definitely appreciate uh, for fantasy purposes. Um, I still think he showed that for the most part this year, he was banged up a little bit throughout the year. And obviously, you know, the, the quarterback situation is as strong, but again, there's a lot of question marks there too. There's a new coaching staff that's going to come in. Um, so we don't know what the offensive coordinator situation is going to look like and, and who's calling plays and all of that. Uh, we're hoping that Trevor Lawrence is the quarterback. That would be an upgrade, yeah. but I think that he's just a typical, like, let's see where his ADP lands. And then I'm going to have a stronger stance right now. I, you know, I think he should be better hypothetically, um, but you know, I'm not, I, I don't really sway one way or the other at the moment. Yeah. And then it's kind of interesting how, like, I mean, how you talked about sort of on that show as well, how, like if Trevor Lawrence comes in, I mean, James Robinson's draft stock will go up from what it is if he wasn't in, but then again, it's also like his touch shares, like almost certainly going down from what it was like, what, like you said, mid nineties running back share, right. like that's almost certainly going down. Uh, so one last question before we wrap up. And again, thank you so much for coming. It's great to have you. Uh, what would your advice be for like growing a podcast following? Obviously we're trying to grow our podcast here. And uh, so do you have any advice for like growing uh, like an amount of like growing listeners and or something like that? Yeah. I, I think the, the big key with any content that you create, uh, whether it's through podcasts, whether it's through, you know, writing or video, what have you, um, it's really, really important to find what makes you different. Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that uh, there's a lot, you know, you can, you can survey the fantasy football industry and the fantasy football world, and you'll see a lot of content that's based on rankings and based on player evaluation. And that's fine. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And if people enjoy doing that, that's fine. You know, there's a lot of people that are doing this kind of stuff that do it as a hobby and they're not 
trying to do this like full time. They're just trying to get enjoyment out of it, which I can totally appreciate. But if you're trying to take it to the next level and you're trying to do it full time, you're trying to get one of those uh, full time jobs that are, are tough to get. Um, I just think it's it's very, very important to find what differentiates you as an analyst and then what can differentiate your podcast. And that that can come in a lot of different forms. I mean, you could you could do it from a purely the, the content that's within that podcast is different in some way. So you might be doing uh, you might be evaluating things differently. You might be talking about things that other people aren't talking about. Or you could do sort of what I did where I, I looked at the the fantasy landscape. I realized that a lot of shows are basically an hour long. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I have an hour long show myself. Um, but, uh, what I realized is that there wasn't really anything being done in, in that 15 to 20 minute range, uh, where you could just be boom, 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 done. And and that alone differentiates the show, even if the content itself within the show, uh, was very much, you know, generic, right? So I, I try to make the content itself, not generic, but the show being that it's 15 to 20 minutes long, each episode, that alone differentiates it. So my big advice, whenever someone asks me this kind of stuff, uh, is that you got to find something that number one, you're passionate about, but uh, find something that that you can differentiate because people recognize that and people will, will notice that because it's going to stand out more. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's great to have you. I know I've said that a bunch, but it really is. It's uh, And it's great to hear from one of the best in the industry. I appreciate you guys. Thanks. All right. Yeah. Thank you. All right, so that's it. Chris, that was fantastic. Yeah, that was awesome. JJ's a great guy. It's really cool to hear all his insight. I mean, hearing about, you know, you know that he kind of was at the forefront of that late-run TV strategy, but just hearing how it developed and how, like, back almost in 2012, there were just QBs just at the top of everyone's draft boards in the first round. Calvin, you said there were three QBs in the first round of most people's draft rankings. It's crazy how much it's changed, and he's been at the forefront of it. Just a really awesome interview to hear some of his takes. Yeah, I mean, some of those draft boards looked like super flex leagues. It was insane. I mean, I wasn't really into fantasy back then, but looking back, it's just so funny to look at. And I mean, it's crazy because, I mean, really, J.J. Zacharyson, is, he was like the trailblazer, the trailblazer for that late round quarterback strategy, which almost every expert now employs. So it's it's fantastic to listen to. And again, you guys should go check out the late round podcast. And I mean... I know he said not to get his ebook, but if you want to get his ebook, I mean, I would probably recommend it. <laughs> yeah. But... <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. It was a really fun interview, and uh, we'll see you next time.